Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they're not experts on, unless it is Australian politics. Jordan is definitely an expert on that, but I'm not an expert on anything. Uh, This podcast (laughs) is, I'm a jack of all trades. I talk like I'm an expert, but I'm not. I'm a con man. Uh, You know what you would be? A sick guy to have on like a pub trivia yeah, I'm I'm a killer at pub trivia. Yeah. I dominate. Yeah. Jack of all trades. Yeah. That's what you want. Yeah. But I'm boring. I'm not actually drinking. I'm thinking about all the questions. You know, I, I think you should name one of your stand up shows that. What? Neil Cole Hackard, Jack, Jack of, of All, all trades. trades. It's not a it's not a bad I think everyone in life is jealous of a Jack of All Trades. It's just like a anything you throw at me. I've got a bit of knowledge on it. I'll get reasonably yeah. competent to it, but I won't bother becoming an expert. In it. <laughs> yes. I suppose in comedy, you could you could call me an expert in that. I've been doing it for 10 years now. Well, I think that that, as you always say, well, that's definitely part of your philosophy to comedy. Being a jack of all trades helps with comedy. Yeah, if you laser focus on one issue or one area of life, you're not going to uh, have a very... Uh, variegated set could become tiring after a while but as you do very effectively you explore different areas of politics um before we continue this podcast is very proudly sponsored by crush organic cbd oil i'm gonna say this in as as fancy a mainstream media voice as i possibly can crush organic cbd oil the premier brand for cbd oil products i use the platinum and the diamond oil daily it works wonders it's dramatically improved my sleep it is very easy to consume a couple of drops on the tongue all it takes throughout the day feeling stressed couple of drops before bed overworked too many things on your mind a couple of drops put it in your drinks Put it wherever you want. Crush Organic CBD Oil. Use the code NEIL for 40% off. Crush with a K. Uh, they also have gummies. They've got bath bombs. They've got everything. they got everything. Premier CBD Oil Company, Crush Organic. So make sure you get onto that. And if you would like to ask us a question, send in a topic or um, ask us to shout out your business or your brand or yourself or your mate, uh slash podcast all money from the subscriptions goes straight to charity all right what did you want to talk about john you want to talk about abstraction didn't you yes you said that in a very evil way because this is this is i think like a, a moby dick thing in my life i reckon this is something that i, I, I See, this is the whole point. It's so elusive what abstractions is. And there's like a, you know, that kind of romantic thought of like a very wealthy man sitting in this library that he has that kind of just encircles an entire circular room and he's sitting in a leather couch in the center of it. And he kind of just dies with a book in his hands, just trying to find the, the, the truest thought there is. And never finds it. I think that this is kind of linked to that. And it's in exact opposite to what I was saying before. Because it's kind of just like 
I was I was using a lot of those terms in the last one, the, the terms that I normally abhor. And I, I think that the thing is, because I am always trying to look at the world as what's the most useful thing. I think that that's like a very good way of going through life, of just trying to figure out what's as like as, as close to objective reality as you can get mm-hmm. and then pushing for that and, and trying to adopt that. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, people will always say, you know, fiction it makes your life fuller. There's all these like namby-pamby words that are around it. But at the end of the day, you read a bunch of how-to books, you're going to be better off than the person that's just read great expectations hmm. generally. Is there something to be said about the way fiction explores human psychology and the human condition that will give you ample information about how to best manage your relationships and the way you look inwards and understand your own behavior? In fact, there's studies that show that that's absolutely true. But the way that I know that is from reading (laughs) nonfiction books. (laughs) (laughs) So you've read nonfiction books about the importance of reading fiction without actually reading fiction. I'm very incredible. I've read two of those books in my life. I don't, I've never really been very fond of fiction. When I was a child, I remember reading a lot of fiction, but over the last couple of years, I've been obsessed with nonfiction books that are going to give me substantive uh, quality information that I can use in my day-to-day life. In fact, I'm forcing myself to read fiction every day now. And I often drift away thinking about things that I've just, because I'll spend an hour reading nonfiction and then I'll I'll say, okay, half an hour fiction. And I'll just drift away thinking about the things I just read in the nonfiction book. See, isn't that interesting? So it's kind of like your brain has just been given protein and then you've just given it fairy floss. And it's just like, it should taste better, but it doesn't. Mm. Because you now have the contrast of like, this is making my body function better than the fairy floss. I think that's what's happening there. And I think that that's like, I, I, I see this a lot. It's just obviously, what is fiction designed to do? Really, it's escapism. Yes, I understand the importance of story. We talked about it before that if you put that, but this is the whole thing, right? Like if you read a lot of nonfiction, you are going to be the person crafting the story as opposed to getting enraptured in the story. But to craft an effective story, you'd need to be well-versed in the art of writing stories. And I would imagine that would also come from consuming a lot of fiction. Yes. So if you wanted to become a writer, you would be reading it, but it's the same reason that like when we watch stand-up, for instance, we're looking at it very analytically. Yes. Or the same reason that like a director would watch other films. They're not watching it like the average person. Yes. They're sitting there and they're thinking, that's interesting the way they did that. I would do that. But they understand the mechanisms behind it. Uh Uh-huh. They understand like it's, it's like... I've, t- I've talked about this before, but like the, the thing, like I will sit there. The other day, actually, my girlfriend did something to me and it just, it just, like we both just started bursting out with laughter and crying with laughter. Aww. And it must be so adorable. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a great moment, but she, like, <sighs> I sat there afterwards and, w- and I was just, trying to deconstruct with her, which I'm sure she, nah, she seemed to like it. But like, the thing is I sat there and I was trying to deconstruct. Why was that funny? Mm. You know, as opposed to just letting the, the, 
the magic trick go by, sure. you know, like, it's just like, that's what I, I'm sure you see the same thing when you're looking at comedy, right? Like you're looking at it as, as like a magic show and you're just being like, okay, so the rabbit came out of the hat. What did they do there? Oh, they had a little handkerchief under the desk. The rabbit was in the handkerchief. They put that in, yeah. you know, like you, that's what you're looking at. Whereas the average audience member is just looking at the rabbit out of the hat and going like, wow, you know? Yeah. It, it's comedy is kind of like a magic act like that. Mm. Um, mm. There are certain tropes and formats and structures and, and but like, it's and worthwhile analyzing them. Worth analyzing them. We can peer behind the curtain and understand how it's done. And there are different ways to uh, elicit laughter. There are easy ways to elicit laughter. It doesn't mean it's bad comedy, but it just means it was an easy construction of a joke. In the same way you can have commercial formulaic pop music. That's very easy to make. I can only assume never actually made a pop song, but how hard is it to make a top 40 pop hit? You get on logic, you make a generic beat, you get someone hot, you sing about sex. Mm. That seems to be how it's done. That's how it's done. Whereas to actually move forward the culture of music and to create something innovative and to do something complex, I'd imagine that's very different. And most people can pick up on what is commercial music and what is complex music. I don't think the average person can pick up on what is complex comedy and what is easy comedy. Although they do, but they have different barometers for it. Oh, I like the themes they explored in this, therefore it's more complex. No, just because you explore a theme that you find intellectually stimulating doesn't mean the comedy is good. Some of the best comedy I've seen has been... Dick jokes. It's been very simple, lowbrow themes, but the construction of the jokes have been objectively and, mm, impressive. But that's what the average person doesn't get. But the other thing is that, like, I think that that's the same thing when you're talking about that hit song, right? In fact, actually, Rafe, this away from um, Thirsty Merc. Hmm. He's got that really famous rant that he just came on and he was just like, I'm sick to fucking death of people saying, like, Baby in the Summertime was commercial. And he was like, yeah, it's commercial. I went out of my way to construct a commercial song. And you listen to that guy's knowledge. He's like one of the best jazz pianists in the country. He's like an extremely accomplished musician. Mm. In fact, I remember talking to him and he was just, I was like, do you like Michael Jackson? Then he was just like, yeah, he was the guy that invented the kind of like, like that kind of sound. He just understands pop music in the way that we would be understanding comedy. Yeah. So when you're sitting there saying like, yeah, you're right, like that, that, the most impressive humor, as you're pointing out, is the one where it's just like it, it appears very simple to the untrained eye. Mm, mm. But you look at what the audience's response is and they're like keeling over with laughter, but they're going to walk out and they're going to be like, oh, because it referenced penises, it's lowbrow. Mm, mm. But it's like, no, they're referencing the penis because they know that like just in, in terms of pure efficiency, you put in something about sex it's going to like hit you on that guttural level, but it needs to have all of that back work to try and get past sure. all of the things in your mind. It needs a skeleton. Needs a skeleton there that like this that can kind of surpass all the things in your mind that just go, oh, that's silly or oh, that's predictable. Mm. But at the end of the day, really, it is com like comedy in a lot of ways. And this is like the thing that I just endlessly hate about blue checks that they don't understand this thing is that. It, it really is sort of almost the art of delivering a good dick joke 
because that like those three things mm-hmm. are the things that are always going to make that's the most reptilian it's pretty much just like how to const- it's the magic act of it is to get all of that stuff to the point that it hits your reptilian brain that you can justify it's enough intellectual yeah. distractions to just be like okay i just got past your human mind now i'm past your mammal mind bam reptile mind that's a really good joke. Wow, that's a good way of thinking about it. Unraveling layers of culture and human complexity to get to our base animal instincts. Yeah. Ooh, I haven't thought about it like that. I like that a lot. But How that's like this- just good persuasion, isn't it? Like in anything. Like even when we're talking about Trump or something like that, it's that same... It's There's it, 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 sort of an art of oratory there that's kind of just functional throughout... But anyway, the point is, what I'm saying is like, okay, the other day I just saw somebody and I can't remember what it was and I can't remember where it was, but it's just the usual endless fucking talk of just like, I can't even remember what it was. What Jordan is talking about here is a sort of um, anarchic capitalist that is, sorry, like, you know, Friendly Geordies is actually very capitalist and like all, again, the thing that I'm always talking about, I'm just using it in the terms of the political one because I just never stopped thinking about it. But then I just started thinking about it more and I thought that, no, this is something that's pervasive with everything else, which is that, okay, when I say capitalist, you might have some vague idea of what it is. It's the same thing as like when we were talking before about freedom, for instance, Mm. you might have some vague idea of what freedom is. Everyone has a different type of idea of what freedom is. So what are you really selling people when you say that? You're selling an illusion. There's an illusion there. There's nothing There's nothing concrete that's getting exchanged there. It's just like whatever you think it means, you think it means something good, there you go. Uh-huh. There's, there's a little quick dream that I've sold you in your head. Sure. Freedom is a very broad term that can be used in a variety of contexts. When I think of capitalism, I think of a clear-cut ethos of virtually no government and businesses free to make whatever decisions they like. Mm. And very limited regulation, if there is any regulation at all. In fact, I was reading something the other day. So why isn't that anarchy, though? Fair point. Isn't uh, that, see, this is what I'm saying. But anyway, go on. Well, go on. anarchy, when I think of anarchy, I think of a completely stateless, lawless society. When I think of capitalism, I think of laws, criminal laws, and... Uh, 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 a basic bare bones government that uh, polices those laws, but the the market is a very laissez faire. They, they, the government has a very laissez faire approach to the market. Mm. That's where I would differentiate capitalism to anarchy. Mm. Uh, I read something the other day, and I can't even remember where I got it from. Capitalism was originally used as a smear against liberals. You're talking about the 17 and 1800s here, mm. uh, and it was. Yeah, laissez-faire liberalism or just the idea of the, the, the individual being sacrosanct. And then their opponents started to smear them as capitalists. Mm. And it became a dirty word. Mm. It doesn't fully embody the ethos of uh, original liberalism. 
I read that the other day, or I listened to that on a podcast. I can't remember. But isn't that interesting? Because why? It, it, and it's, it's obviously just tarred with a lot of negative connotation. And it's because when they were growing, when they when they were setting up, yeah, wealth was controlled, like tied directly to land. Like factories didn't yep. really exist yet. So that the idea of someone being in control of their own destiny and not working on the farm for them the ruling class would think that that's dirty and disgusting. Then over time, factory workers became wealthier than landowners. And so then capitalism became a good word. But the difference is, and this is what's so strange about it, right? Like you say capitalist society. Like just just, just go back to the the classic Redditor that always pisses me off, right? If they say capitalism Mm. and they're talking about... I don't know, like, this is just this really crude example, like, America's a capitalist society. But okay. it has all of these fucking checks and balances on it, that is, and like, all of these government programs that are running on it, and then people go, oh, okay, well, then it's not. It's a, um, I don't know, like a neoliberal, neoliberal uh, statist yeah. society that, you know, state, sure. s- I don't know, like a corporate socialist country. like that. But again... Again, vague it's term. vague. It's fucking vague. Yeah, it, it, it is vague. Uh, and lazy. And with vagueness comes yep. laziness. Yeah, because no country is truly capitalistic in that sense. Every country is some kind of mixed economy. Most OECD nations. Well, there wouldn't be one on earth because a, a, a truly capitalist society that has no economic laws, n- no enforcement whatsoever of like or the direction of economic forces at all would collapse overnight no way like even basic things like uh someone has to build hospitals you know all of these things like it's just like these basic things or like roads have to build these things yeah exactly theoretically the market's going to do it Mm. in reality does the market do it it's never been tried well i know was there ever a time where healthcare uh, wasn't socialized. No, Was because this is the whole thing. Like, it it, it, it collapse in on itself if it sure. wasn't subsidized by the taxpayer money. Like sure. everything. Like even in the US, right, where they always say that it's like a private healthcare system. There's nothing private about it. It spent. It costs like twice as much as the Australian healthcare system. Right. They're just pumping all of this state money into private companies. Mm. You know, like. So, I don't know, like, the thing that I'm just, like, it, it's something that just, like, angers me so much that whenever I see any criticism online, it's very, very, very rare that I ever think that was a good point. And it's always, always brought back to the fact that they're just using these vague terms that can mean pretty sure. much anything you can squish them around so really what are you doing you're just yelling into the wind I've and so what was the point it was a waste i've never heard anyone call you a capitalist before that's pretty funny well see this is the whole thing like when yeah but all criticism comes with these sorts of terms i mean when i uh glance at uh some negative comments it's uh full of those sorts of words as well enlightened centrist is a good one which i've started owning because that sounds mad yeah, no, it does sound mad. And then the other one, I was looking at some of the comments from the Dave Chappelle criticism I did, and one of the top comments was, uh, "Whoa, you went against the authoritarians once, and now you think you could, you're the gatekeeper of comedy." And I was like, 
Damn, that's another mad title. <laughs> gatekeeper of comedy. The enlightened centrist gatekeeper of comedy. <laughs> All my Dude, criticisms are Dude, that is a mad. really funny combination of words. <laughs> yeah. I like enlightened the- centrist gatekeeper of comedy. Dude, <laughs> that's mad. That's really fucking mad to um, <laughs> lean into. Yeah. So, uh, sure, there are a lot of these... Uh, Non-substantive criticisms. Um, I suppose. Let me try and steal, man. I don't. I haven't read what this person has said about you, but what have they said? That they said that you're actually a capitalist. Is that in relation to your self-help channel? Is that in relation to you uh, being a proponent of people honestly and authentically building businesses? Where are they calling you? A, are they because you're support of the Labor Party, and the Labor Party is still essentially a corporate-controlled. Party is something like that. Let's, that. let's go with the Labour Party for sure. a second, right? You talk to a certain cultural subsection, they will say that the Labour Party is a socialist party. Yes. You talk to another subsection of the internet and a, they'll say it's a yep. capitalist evil company. <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah. it's just... No one knows what it is. <laughs> no one knows what the fuck it is. And it's the same thing that happens You're never with, pure enough. Never pure enough. Mm. You can go to the Greens. It's going to get smaller because it just becomes more of a niche argument. But there's mm. going to be people there that are saying like it's neoliberal capitalist scum, still works within the system, whatever this... The system <laughs> is the same version of just like that p- gross political Reddit culture that... They use the word the system the same way that musicians use the word the scene. It's just this elusive, sure. what is it, who's in control of the scene. Right. It's, it's like the same thing, the system. It's that same point, right? Like, the turbid idea of the mainstream that we despise. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's just everything bad. And so really yeah. what I'm starting to see is like all of these words really – just they're designed to elicit an emotion. And like what you said before when you were saying, if you want to get under someone's skin, people are always yelling at you. Like when someone says, you're a capitalist to me, that doesn't fucking hurt me at all. Okay. That doesn't hurt me in the slightest. Or like someone says, like, you're a communist or some shit like that. It's it's in their head. They've just been trained. This is a bad word. It has a bad emotion to it. Yes. So really what they're doing is just exchanging emotions. Yes. Yeah, you know, he's not pure enough to fit my view of the ideal citizen and or political commentator, therefore I'm going to smear him with this word. When in reality, if you ask, because they're using vague terms, and this is something that I've noticed, intelligent people are very specific about what they're saying. Yes. Now, this is different when it comes to comedy. There's there's a bit of a trade-off yes. here when it comes to comedy, course, I suppose. Of course, because I'll use these words incessantly when it comes to comedy. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, depict and personalise the left and the right and communists and capitalists and all of this sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Because for the purpose of comedy. For the purpose of comedy because it gives off... Because it's the same thing, I suppose. And this is what I was... When we were talking about that previous video then, it's like... You're trying to you're trying to feel out a vibe here. Yeah. You know? In fact, that's really like a lot of your comedy when it comes down to it, really. It's you sort of describing a vibe. Which yes. is really weird. And that's why like Where basic dumb cunts use the word vibe so much now. Don't you reckon that's like if sure. you looked at the Google trend of it over the last two years, so many basic bitches would be like, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. That's sure. not a vibe. Sure, how does this make me feel? Uh, 
Now, no one's ever immune to that. I used to always consider myself as rational a thinker as I possibly could be. But uh, after reading some rudimentary uh, social psychology, no one is objectively rational. No. You can try to be. You can get closer to the objective truth, but everyone, everyone's judgment is clouded by emotion. Which is why. Which is why. I'm starting to think. It's such a trade-off here, though. This is the problem, right? Like, okay, you describing vibes, such a... The fact that you have been able to amass such a large audience from describing vibes shows that it's very culturally powerful to use these, for lack of a better word, dream words. Sure, but doesn't exist in the real world. Just some exactly abstract idea. It's yeah. abstract. It's not tangible. Like, sure. Let me give you that table. That table, I can see it. It exists. Yeah. Communism doesn't exist. Capitalism doesn't exist. No, these are political the, the, philosophies. They're, they're not. Yeah, like it's grounded just grounded in reality. reality. Yeah. And so uh, it's just like this, it's, it's this strange trade-off. And this is something that I think is kind of like when you were in the world of comedy, you dance in and out of those two worlds, of the world of like an entertainer and an academic. And I suppose an academic, unless... You do that very specifically, though. A lot of comedians <laughs> may not really dabble in academia at all uh no academia is the wrong word but you know what i'm like okay an academia is a good academic not like humanities but like you know a good academic is trying to describe something (laughs) (laughs) they're trying to describe something as precisely as they can yes as accurately as they can that's what an academic is trying to do sure Cut away any, like, feelings that you have about something. This is the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Comedians lie somewhere in between the two because they're, they're trying to describe the truth of a situation as opposed to the reality. Yes, because the truth encompasses... The perceived reality and the emotional association of that perceived reality. Yeah. Yeah. When we're dealing with truth here, there's there is there is a difference between truth and fact. Yeah. It's not a fact that communism exists. It's an abstraction. Or that communism can exist. So it's like I think this is this. I think this actually might be a really good, and this is the whole thing. Like, I, I know there's just going to be like a bunch of dickhead comments here, but this is the whole thing. You just have to understand this. I don't take anything that you say seriously because really all you are doing is just combining a bunch of abstracted words together. Classic example, you know, just. I don't know, something like anarcho-socialism or something like that. You're just combining more dream words together 
to just go deeper into like a more specific niche strand dream. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just coming and, to this. Yeah, go on. And it's one thing to label someone as any of these words. Then you need to describe what, what those abstractions mean to you, what they mean generally, and why Jordan or myself articulating that particular viewpoint is a negative. Mm. And it's once- the classic both sides now. Oh, he's a socialist. Oh, he's a right winger. Well. Tell me why socialism is bad. Tell me why this person being a right winger is bad. And when you start doing that, the argument starts collapsing very quickly. Oh, because yeah. Because these people three have questions. no idea what they're saying. It takes three, three. questions. Three. Max. Three. Max. And that's the mark of a true uh, intellectual, or, or not even an intellectual, someone who actually cares about finding the truth. It's someone who is willing to engage with a... Uh, Authentic criticisms. So I see that comment that's like, oh, you're, you're gatekeeping comedy. And I'm like, what does that... I'm trying to under, understand what that even means. I guess the steel man version of that would be, why do you get to decide what is good comedy and what is not? Well, am I not allowed to have an opinion on what I think is bad comedy and good comedy? Does that mean I'm gatekeeping it? I did make broad points in that Dave Chappelle video saying these are some of the techniques he used and this is the style he used and it's not a good style. So I'm making a broad opinion judgment there. But I'm also well versed in the craft of comedy well enough to have a judgment about how the dove is finally revealed. Can you get... What 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 part specifically are you talking about? Well, the, ga- the gatekeep that <laughs> gatekeeper of comedy thing. The gatekeeper of comedy thing, sure. yeah. But like what your you- your specific criticism of his show, what part were you criticizing? Oh, a lot of it. A lot of it in general, because I read, I saw it, and this is, I suppose, this is a whole thing, right? Maybe th- this is the thing that I think might actually be. The saving grace here. When I saw your thing, I thought, yeah, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. And this is a whole thing. Like when an academic is using these words, Mm. it's kind of just a shortcut because they've done all the unpacking beforehand. And so they're just like, I'm not going to write an essay again Uh, to explain a point that I could say in just that one word. And that's where some of those words can be useful because in the context of a YouTube video or even a short essay, you can't go into great detail uh, about a cultural or political group or a worldview or even a vibe you may get from a certain worldview. Sometimes you just need to use abstracted words that may not be as precise as you would like them to be, but for a given context, they're appropriate. Look, I think that the whole thing was, and I can't speak because I, I don't know, like the average person watching the Dave Chappelle video that you did. But when I watched it, I thought that that is a very good professional critique of it. So I think that, the, you know what it was? It was just like the, the comedian's criticism. Yeah. That's what that was. was I guess. But um, what was the criticism? So... Because look, man, no one's gonna. You're never gonna escape criticism, man. You're the, that sort of a person. You're very opinionated. You're very uh, provocative, and 
you are controversial, not that you even intend to be controversial just by virtue of what you talk about. So you're actually critiquing the criticism now, Hmm. which is interesting. Because this is what I'm saying. It's just like, look, I would like to be criticized. That would be great. What I am instead coming up against constantly over and over again, and this is what really scares me mm-hmm. about human beings, is I have just formulated an argument that is so much more precise, so much more factual, so much more based in reality than the criticism that I am receiving on it. Mm-hmm. So... You can't engage. There's, there's this thing of like... If somebody looked at what I said and then they built on that and criticized it factually, you could sit there and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that is a criticism worth having, right? But 99.9% of criticism is just abstracted words. And what is this? This is the thing that scares me about these abstracted words. It's a hypnosis. It's a thing that in your reality, you've had that put there. This is something that I've noticed about like a lot of hot button issues. Really, it seems that what happens is people just read a article, one single article, and then that becomes their entire view on that subject. And because human beings are so lazy that they can't even be bothered to read the counter argument to it, that becomes their worldview and they will just defend that with a bunch of vague words because they just want to maintain that hypnosis. So that's what I'm saying. Like when most of the time when you were criticized, what is happening is really, I swear to God, this is the case. 99% of the time, you've said something, it's rubbed up against their dream and they've said, I want to stay in the dream. Don't wake me up. Because they haven't engaged you know, like you will say, even in the video, I do this all the time. I do this all the time. They're going to say this. Mm. They're going to say exactly this. And then they say exactly that. Have you received any criticism that you respect? Because there's two... I know exactly how you feel, man. There's there's, there's two uh, thoughts that pop in my mind here. Because when I uh, listen to certain intellectuals I admire on podcasts and... Uh, other people in the uh, commentariat of America and other intellectuals don't want to engage with them. So I remember there was a infamous exchange between Noam Chomsky and Sam Harris over email where Noam Chomsky just didn't want to discuss anything with Sam Harris. And I thought, man, this guy's... Dude, just discuss with him. What's the big deal? Mm. But in... I'm assuming in Chomsky's mind he thought, well, I've been misrepresented, I'm being unfairly treated, or Sam espouses a view that is beyond the pale and that is outside of my Overton window of acceptable discussion. Similarly, Coleman Hughes has always uh, offered to debate Ibram X. Kendi, and I would love to see that. Ibram X. Kendi always responds saying, "Uh, Coleman has willfully misrepresented me so many times, and I do not wish to engage with this person who's, I don't know if, you know, basically it's like, who's a grifter? Which is also, that's a term I think has become one of these abstract. Yeah, uh, it's horrible. I hate it. What Lowest you, form Everyone's of... doing something for money, okay? 
and 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 yeah, it's it's just a word that dumb cunts again another Reddit word another sure. Reddit politics word yeah um yes, grifter and then yeah, grifter yeah, socialist well, hot takes yeah. you got to actually argue why. Socialism is bad. You got to can't just say who's a socialist. Well, tell me why it's bad. Okay, I've heard plenty of people articulate it in a dumb way. Sure, there's a lot of nineteen-year-olds uh, with uh, uh, ill-informed, quixotic ideas of how the world can be, who probably identify as a socialist. But you're then strawmanning an entire political philosophy with the worst possible interpretation of it engage with like the the best the the most the famously renowned socialists of today and then i'll respect that criticism but if you just smear someone who you're so or like you're a right winger well what do you say every single right winger out there is an idiot go and debate thomas soul you know go and debate someone like that and then tell me all right wingers are idiots sure you can find the like idiotic comment the, the misspelt idiocy on facebook but that's an unfair representation. You're finding the worst possible interpretation of what is a complex political philosophy on either side of the spectrum and using that as holding that up as the paragon of that reality. It's like collective straw manning. It's disingenuous. It's dishonest. I actually lose respect for people who use... Words like that. To it to a certain degree. Again, to some degree you have to do it. Okay? Even a lot of the intellectuals I admire will say, you know, the left will say this, the right will say this. And I understand what they're saying because then I've also heard them go into depth about why they don't like a particular aspect of a certain political tribe or something like that. Um, but again, coming back to what I was saying is that do you think there's something to be said about just engaging with not all criticism, but some criticism, uh, especially if it's from someone with a platform, because even if you think it's an unfair criticism, even if you think it's a um, a criticism that hasn't adequately uh, taken into account the points that you've made, because then people get a vibe that, oh, this person can't handle criticism, and they're just trying to avoid criticism. Because I sometimes get that vibe. When I when I saw that, when I heard about that email exchange, I thought, well, you know, Sam is also a very respected intellectual. Just engage with him. What's the big deal? I think there's two things that are happening in that engagement. The first one, and this is something that I can also there's there's always just like some issue that really sticks at your craw, and like for for whatever reason, you just I think this is it. And you know what though? Because I think that. Sam Harris, what was happening to Sam Harris in that is exactly how he would feel about discussing Islam. And there's just those points where he's sure. just like, I'm just tired of, like, I've been through it so many times. Sure. Like, I think that's exactly what Sam Harris was doing to Noam Chomsky. Just being like, debate me on uh, Palestine versus Israel. It's just like, I've been talking about this since the 60s. I'm not going through it again. You know, like, mm. I, th I mm. think that that's what's, what, was, what was happening in that engagement. But, like, the other thing the, I think... The, yeah, go on. Very quickly, though, the thing with the, today's cultural landscape is that people have their own unique audience, and a lot of people may not have been exposed to Noam Chomsky, as at the time I hadn't. And my first uh, impression of this person was, oh, this is just some guy who doesn't want to 
debate Sam Harris. Mm. I've lost respect for him, even though I didn't even know who he was mm. at the time. Which and is so you risk losing, especially people who have a profile and they've made a call out video to you or something like that. Uh, to a degree, some most of them are worth avoiding. I think my estimation, but to a degree, it's worth engaging to in in some because. Otherwise, you, 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 you can come across as high and mighty and pretentious and thinking you're better than other people and not willing to engage with other people who, even if you think their viewpoints are malicious and dishonest, if they've gained enough traction and have enough of an audience, it's worthwhile... Uh, engaging with them to some degree because you're never going to fully convince an audience that worships a certain person. But the best thing you can do in those debates, uh, I saw what, you know what, Ben Shapiro and Anna Kasparian had one and that was actually good. They were quite dignified in debating each other. And they, but there were just certain things where you can't even have a debate where they just have fundamentally different views of reality. Perfect example of that is like something like systemic racism, where they just disagree on like the definition of of what that is or how that comes about. And then it, it, when you disagree on just the, the actual reality itself, it's hard to engage. Similarly, when I want, because a big part of what I do is just, yes, uh, the, the castigation of the uh, critical social justice left. I want to engage, but when someone comes at me saying, no, 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 but this is why it is a racist system or this is why this group is uh, particularly oppressed. It's a, they're, they're articulating it as though it's a divine truth. And I get messages like this when I post things and I, I don't know how to engage with someone like that because it's like engaging with someone who says, oh, I believe, you know, I, I know Jesus is real because it, he just is. Well, there's no debate. There's no discussion to be had there. All right, cool. You, I, I, nothing I say is going to get through to you. Similarly, if someone is uh, weaponizing these abstractions towards you, I don't think you can have a substantive discussion with these with this person because I don't think anything you say can get... Unless you really would have to get to the bare bones of, of, of what they truly believe in. And first, I, I would approach something like that. I don't like these sort of aggressive, uh, butting heads type debates. What I would try and do is just the first 10, 15 minutes, if I ever had a debate with someone or anything like that, it's like, all right, I just want to ask questions for the first 20 minutes and try and get to the root of your, like, like the foundations of how you see the world and then find points where I'm like, well, look, that's actually why I actually agree with that and that's why I wouldn't use that term. Okay, can define that term for me? You know, things like that. Those are the questions. When I said previously, okay, it takes three questions. Usually those questions are, okay, if someone smeared you as anarcho-capitalist, well, all right, what do you, you... It's not that you play dumb, but tell me what you mean by anarcho-capitalist. That would be my first question. And then they'll probably... Have you ever asked that sort of a question? Yeah. What happens? They're just kind it of... It falls apart instantly. Well, there you go. It usually only takes one question there. Yeah. All right, tell me what you mean by anarcho-capitalist. Tell me how I represent that viewpoint, how I've represented that viewpoint. And it's usually you've used these talking points. That's another one, or talking points. He uses left-wing talking points. He uses right-wing talking points. Well, what, what, are they not true? <laughs> you know? Like, that's, I that's the point that you need to make. Yeah, yeah. you're kind of right. Like that. that I, I'm guilty of that. I've got to stop using it. The, the other one is... Um, 
that's linked to that is something like this. This person's appeared on Fox News. So what? What, this guilt by association shit? Yeah. Yeah, I've never really understood that argument. But see, this is the whole thing. I, I, I suppose, actually, when it comes to this, I suppose when, when, like, for instance, when I say this person is funded by the Koch brothers and then people respond with, you know, I like, gonna, I, yes. I, yeah, well, like, how is he wrong about it? It's, I think the whole thing is, like, I can explain it, but, you know, I, I've just read enough about it to just know, like, here we go again. I suppose that's another right, one of okay. those points, you know. Because, yeah, see, so, so, now I I think I've talked to you about that on a previous podcast where I hear, okay, this person's funded by a particular entity or, the, yes, the Koch brothers is a common one or this other. And I think, well, all right, does that mean they're wrong? Mm. That's my next question. Mm. Just because mm, someone's mm, funded by... So it's, it's like saying when people say, oh, Jordan's funded by the Labor Party. Mm. Well, so, well, okay, does that... Look, you have to then prove to me that they're not go. They're not saying what they truly believe in because the people who are funding them have said, "Oh, say this." Then I'll agree with the argument. Or you have to prove to me that funding body has somehow tainted their view of reality, um, or the fact that that funding body is funding this person, and then and then and then knowing about this particular funding body uh, makes their argument invalid. But there needs to be for me. The funding argument doesn't work. There needs to be another step. Because this is the whole thing. I think that this is, when it comes to funding, they're thinking about it the wrong way. You don't fund someone who doesn't believe what you believe. Sure. That's what I think is the, the, the thing that I am saying there is kind of the same as just like, you know, the Jehovah's Witness obviously funds churches of Jehovah's Witness because they believe fundamentally in the Jehovah's Witness cause. Okay. So it is that they are that deep into the worldview that they they like that that is like their entire job is to perpetuate that worldview. I think that that's like the whole point that comes across it. I think that like in reality, I think there's very few mercenaries out there. I think that most people actually do believe what they're being, and they and they become like a warrior for that cause. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's, it's especially them. when it comes to like the Koch brothers, they have an entire network where yeah. they just get like people indoctrinated at university into that worldview, and sure. then out of those select few, they're just like, we're going to put you through law school, we're going to make you a political commentator. That's how that works. Yeah. Okay. See, just those extra two sentences then gives a lot more ammunition to that worldview. Because then I other I hear other people who just comments like this person's funded by this person, and I'm like, well, that doesn't tell me anything. That doesn't actually prove to me that they're wrong. Yes, because they're thinking about it like that. That it's just like, here's money. Okay, I believe this now. I don't think that's how it works. In fact, this is something that yeah. really scared me about like Noam Chomsky when he was talking about this, which is that, uh, you know, when you go into like a media institution, for instance, and like I have just showed with all of these journalists, they genuinely do think that the way that they are doing journalism is fair and noble. And to an average outsider, same thing with lawyers actually as well, now that I've noticed this, you the things that they argue in court, everybody in the courtroom is sitting there and they're like, oh, yeah, it's a very good argument. But you just know that if you said this, you know, $10,000 a day barrister, legitimately argued this and you put that out to the average person on the street, they would fucking laugh at them 
It's just such an absurd argument. But in that little world, that viewpoint, because they've just they've, they've bought into the conventions. There's, there's so many conventions in a court, right? Like you walk in, you bow. You know, the judge is called the honorable whatever. And like there's all these like little things that you have to buy into and you have to do. Mm. And it's all part of that indoctrination process. And so these incredibly smart people start saying ridiculous things because they're so ingrained in that world. And and see, this is the whole thing that I think is just like, dude, as soon as you start going into these abstractions, and this is why, like when I say that, for instance, and you're right, like the funding argument, I'm trying to eliminate it from my vocabulary as well because it's it's that same thing. It's It's another version of this kind of like lazy shorthand that sometimes it might have come from, uh, you know, doing a lot of under the hood work. But as you're saying, okay, pop the bonnet. What's under the hood? Sure. And most of the time, there's no engine there. And most people wouldn't have done the research you've done. No. So I go, I don't get anything by hearing that argument. I don't. I don't know. What, I didn't even know who the Koch brothers were till a few years ago. So then when I hear, oh, these people were funded by the Koch brothers, I'm like, ah, oh, who the fuck are they? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. So then, then it. It can come across as, ah, oh, this person doesn't have a substantive uh, criticism against these other political actors. They just say, oh, they're funded by this. And now that this is happening in the YouTube uh, American political commentary world as well. They're constantly smearing each other. This person's funded by MSNBC. This person's funded by the Democrats. It's like, okay, none of this tells me anything. If you can prove to me that that funding has somehow warped what they're able to say or uh, the, that funding comes at some other cost, then I'm open to the argument. But I haven't done the research. The other people, I haven't done the research. Obviously, I haven't done the research. You have, I haven't done the research. Other people have when they say it's been funded by this person. But, you know, when people criticize you, he's funded by the Labor Party. Well, again, like, what, so, what, okay, you don't, okay, you personally don't like the Labor Party. That doesn't, invalidate his arguments this is a quick i'm not by the way but yes that that is a, a constant thing you know yeah he, he's funded by the labor party blah 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 blah. and yes i think that that's that's you know to be fair to me that's always what i think directly after that even if i was what's wrong with it like like prove what is wrong you're right like so <laughs> it's, it's again it's just another fucking shorthand lazy point do you remember that one guy who tweeted when you were doing that video that, yeah, you're not funded by the, you did one, was it an ad or something? Because at the end of it, it was like, uh, 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 yeah, 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 no, yeah. I did a video and, and this is the whole thing, right? Like people always bring that back and they're always just like, he's funded by the unions, which is lazy because it was like, I did a video for it. Yeah. And why again? Why? Because I believe in unions. Sure. That's why they were just like, yeah, okay, yeah. We'll, we'll do this video together. Because people you know? assume, okay, he's, he's, he's saying, what he's saying because he's getting the money when it's the other way around. He's saying what he's saying and that the people with the money like what he's saying. So they're offering some extra. That's the whole thing. Like I tweeted like, Oh, apparently the friendly Geordies is funded by the labor party. And apparently Neil Kalaika is funded by the liberal party. Oh yeah, that's right. Fuck. (laughs) I wish they'd have a lot of money. (laughs) <laughs> Who was that again? Have better fucking studio than this. Um. <laughs> no, you really would. Yeah. You would. Because like the IPA, for instance, they've got a sick podcast studio and they've got fucking no listeners. Uh, I can't remember who that was. 
but I do remember it. One of the people on ABC and SBS. See, but this is the whole thing, right? And again, this is they live in this little. And they're funded by the government. So but the, like they, they, they are talk? literally funded yeah. by the Liberal Party. Yeah. Which is insane. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> what a bizarre but, but they thing. all fucking say it. They all say it. They all go to the, he's funded by so-and-so without recognizing no, you know. Your entire life is funded by the taxpayer. Yeah. But like, like let's go further than that. It's not funded by the taxpayer, is it? Because I'm a taxpayer. I don't want them getting a fucking cent. If it was up to me, they would starve to death, right? They... <laughs> <laughs> it really would. Like I would, I would, I'd get a lot of pleasure looking at a lot of those ABC comedians begging <laughs> me for water. The, the dictator I'd, over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Send them to the comedy gulag. Fucking hell. <laughs> I wish they did. Like at least, like you can get out of the gulag if you can make me laugh. Sure, comedy should actually be. I don't think you can't like have publicly funded comedy, man. Like comedy's supposed to be anti-establishment. It's just bizarre. It's again your mad point that you were saying of. Fuck state-funded art. That is a load of shit. Well, you know what? Actually, that's not true either because some of the best art ever produced was produced by the Nazis and the Soviet Union. Okay. You know, like well, they they made fucking amazing like propaganda pieces. Sure. They had a bigger uh, cause. Now, very uh, not a very noble cause to say the least, but they had a bigger cause and a cause can having deeper meaning will be the catalyst for brilliant art. Whereas if it's just about, mm, this is my life and I'm sad, it's going to be garbage. See, that's the whole... Okay, you're right. You've nailed it. That's exactly why Australian-funded art is terrible. So so what you're saying... Let me do Kathy Newman. So what you're saying here is yeah. that uh, the, the Nazi art is better than the ABC. <laughs> and that's do you disagree? You <laughs> do you disagree? <laughs> I have, did, to, did, I have did, to go watch some I'm sorry. Nazi propaganda films. Battleship Potemkin <laughs> is so much better than Question Everything. I'm sorry. It's so much fucking better. I mean, look, I've got this joke I've been trying to do for, for a couple of months about how I like to judge art not on the, the, the actual ethos. I try to. I know it's not fully possible because there were points in my the Dave Chappelle criticism, for example, where I was clearly like, "All right, I just don't agree with his political ethos." But um, I like to judge, especially comedy, on on just the actual structure and the construction of the art itself. And look, look the actual message of it, it it's it's not completely redundant, but like I don't. If it's a if it's a nuanced and interesting message, but if it's some hack thing of like racism is bad, I'm like, yeah, okay, we all agree. Do we need to make films about this still? Like, who's, still, who's watching that? Oh fuck, that really inspired me. I'm gonna stop hating black people. Like, the the people who still are racist. I don't think a film is gonna get to them anymore. Okay, and you know what else as well? I don't think they're going to watch the film. That's true. So. These like very banal, uh, simplistic uh, cultural messages, kind of they look they trigger me, because if there's if there isn't something like interesting said, if there isn't something uh, nuanced, it, it you know, I'm bored. Even if I agree with the me- like I saw this play, Malcolm Turnbull was at this play. Of course he was. It was a fucking play. (laughs) 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 Of course. Um, And it was about the stolen generations, right? And, like, 
dude. Yeah. Okay. No one disagrees that what happened was 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 wrong. It was misguided. It was uh, morally unjustifiable, especially from today's perspective. The play sucked. The acting was very average. The plot Always didn't make is. any sense. Mm-hmm. The tone jumped around the place. There was one point where it was just this very sad uh, tableau of like indigenous uh, indigenous people in in chains, and then it did the, it like ten minutes later it jumped into this very affable song, and and it just the tone was just I hate that I don't like. Tones that just go all over the place, like stick to one. Time. <laughs> Again, mm. maybe that's a personal opinion there, sure. But it, it didn't, it didn't work for me. It didn't do it for me, and it was interesting it's during poor the inter- yeah during the intermission. I'm talking to everyone about it, and the, their opinion wasn't about the actual the theater. That wasn't about the. See, I'm the theater snob here. Everyone else was yes. like, oh, yes, yeah, it's horrible what happened, isn't it? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that fucking play was horrible too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then everyone Arguably at the end. Arguably a greater crime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> His words. <laughs> um, and, then, and then at the end, everyone's given a standing ovation. And I'm in this position where I'm like, oh, fuck. I can't, I, can't, I can't justify a standing ovation for this art. Mm-hmm. But then I look like such a cunt. Mm. By not giving it a standing ovation, mm. so I kind of like begrudgingly stood up and gave it the the, the standing ovation. And then guess what? The, you, no surprises. Let's bring the playwrights out. Two white people, uh-huh. of course. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the, the spectacled, yep. t- the, just the, your, your standard artistic, it, it, exact, exactly who. All the two GB commentators are talking about when they're like in fucking inner city latte sip th- them. They, they, they looked exactly like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. No surprises there. Yep. That's why those commentators hated Malcolm Turnbull so much and why Malcolm Turnbull was sitting there being like, oh, bravo. Because it is, it is <laughs> yeah, that. Of course he was there. Of course he was fucking there. <laughs> it, it's Sydney Theatre Company 101. It is a very small, very wealthy, very affluent. And, and, and this is the thing that I really don't understand it actually comes down to this is something that is very strange about that culture. Why is it always looking for reasons to hate itself? Isn't that a strange phenomenon of modern times? That that like because really what you're looking at there, Malcolm Turbull was there, right? You're looking at the cultural elite of society and and the and mm. tied into that money like very 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 wealthy people were sure. in that room and they were all sitting there looking for reasons let's be honest about this for why they're shit and that, that's what they were looking for sure and i could only assume that was either it was either philanthropic or public money used because this was the opening night and it wasn't even a sold out crowd so whatever public money may have been used how about actually build a school in an indigenous community, or how about actually not this symbolic garbage? Which is the symbolic stuff just allows white people to fucking pat themselves on the back. Because this is the whole thing. It's not because it is a self-serving. That's the whole thing. Because it's not like 
with these people in control of public money, this is what they spend it on. They spend it on private schools. They spend it on plays. For fuck's sake, can we just let plays, movies exist? Can we just get over yeah, them? Fuck off with they the theater, fucking man. suck. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Like, how know. many fucking plays have you ever seen in your life that you thought were mad? And you know what? You know what? Every time I've ever seen it, same thing with Australian film. What is it? Working class shit. It's like that yeah. play that was just that I watched once that was just about, and it was such a good, and Jeffrey Rush was in it and he did it perfectly. It was, and it was weird because he was like a star at that point, but he went back and did this. Uh-huh. But it was just about your first day at school. So it was a bunch of like 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds playing characters that were like five. And it was one of the best plays I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. Because it had that same thing that is like Australia at its best, which is this kind of, the tone of Australia is not like, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's very proper. That is that tiny little section of society that has its control over the public purse strings. That is reflecting their view of themselves. Mm -hmm. The rest of Australia has this kind of like quaint underdog, the castle feel about itself. Like, dude, the castle is such a charming, sweet like, it's a story of, of like, battlers that, that have, like, you know, a problem child in there, but they, they they love each other a lot. You know that that moment, everyone always fucking goes back to it, of, like, they have this boss barrister that stands up, does this speech, just being like, under Article 38 of the blah, 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 the charter and stuff, and then they have this little surveillance lawyer that just, like, shouldn't be, doesn't know that law at all, and he gets up and he's just like, it's the vibe, it's, it's Marbo, it's just, it's not right. And then sits down and then they're just like, good on you, mate. Like, that is Australia right there. Sure. That fucking moment. And they never make any plays about that kind of shit, about battlers. There's never any fucking plays about battlers. It's always, you should feel ashamed of yourself. That is the the undercurrent <laughs> feeling of like all fucking plays that are produced by these people. And I don't know well, why they have that, why they need to enforce that about themselves all the time. I really don't. Well, you and I actually agree, which uh, can often put some people off balance that we don't think art should be publicly funded. No, look, I, okay, you know what? I will go back because we've just been talking about this. I'm changing my view. It should be publicly funded. Okay, but Make should... art in the interest of the public. Well, that's hard to do because what's happened is there's this <laughs> uh, the, the arts world in Australia is a microcosm and an echo chamber that doesn't reflect mainstream Australia. Not at all. At all. Not at all. And especially the ones who are uh, who control the reins off said publicly funded art, they are so out of touch with day-to-day Australians and just average people. It, it, it does become this sort of cultural propaganda machine. But and amongst themselves, itself. yeah, I know. And it, but there's this idea. I think, I think it comes down to like, oh yes, but by appealing to the masses, you're selling the art. Now, there's a certain truth to that. Look, there's. I'm not going to completely disregard that because what we we're talking about on the last podcast is when you dumb down your political rhetoric, it does have mass appeal. So there's a certain aspect of that I do agree with. But it, I, I, I also believe simply, but then the, the inverse of that, the antithesis, the bastardization of that idea is that, oh, by virtue of not having mass appeal, it is therefore good art. 
See, it goes back to your joke point at the very beginning. It's just like, if it's talking about low shit, but it's done well, it's awesome. This was talking about like, you know, just high arty shit. It was done terribly, as Mm. you were saying. It was a fucking shit play. And that's just Sydney uh, Theatre Company in, in like, you know, 30 years of shit plays. All funded by you. That's that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. You know? D- handle it in the, you know, cop it in the free market. Look. Cop it in the free market. Happened. Like you say, it's been 30 years and that's why it just gets worse because they haven't... they When it's publicly funded, you're not held accountable for bad artistic decisions. In the same way, uh, it's the same argument you would make for a publicly funded organisation of any kind. It, you just... There's no actual accountability for bad art it just is oh people were uneducated and they didn't understand it no it was just shit mm. Mm. <laughs> you wouldn't have ma- if, if you wouldn't have made money if you put that out there so what are you doing look but see look my i, I think this is just what's what's happened there's two ways to go about this you either drastically increase arts funding or you cut it off. Now, like well, okay. either way of those things, what, I would be happy with. Sure. What about this? What about you, you, you fund resources and you fund artistic infrastructure? So you fund things like public podcasting studios. You fund things like access to theatres. Uh, you, you subsidise theatre costs. You... Uh, you even just give it universal basic income for artists, knowing that we consume so much American and British art. So there actually is a comparative disadvantage for being an artist in Australia. But art is very important to just the psychological health of any community and and country. There should be a consciousness that is embodied in good art. Now, what you do with that, but what you don't do is you fund certain creative projects. Because what that then what what can occur then is uh, um, well ideological corruption. People in power are making massive funding decisions about the art they personally like. Whereas if you're just funding, you you know how in YouTube in um, the US they've got all these big YouTube green screen studios that if you have over ten thousand subscribers you can just book in and use it. Well, why not just have public music and and podcasting and green screen studios that any Australian, if they want to, if they can book, if there's enough of them, they just book in advance and cool. You don't have to pay for like a mad studio. You don't have to pay to buy all this podcasting equipment, but you're not controlled as to what you actually say or what you actually create. And then the market can decide what actually is good art, but you, but you facilitate the creation of more art. You don't, you don't facilitate, you don't use the public funds to facilitate what art is created, you just facilitate the ability to create more art. And then for musicians, yeah, again, you, maybe you can create... Um, like recording, recording studios. Yeah, re- yeah, recording studios. I think they already do have a few of these kind of public studios out there. But Do they? I, I, I'm not... Look, I'm not entirely sure. But that, I think, is a way to still fund the arts... But not to have this like monolithic culture that 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 sort of <laughs> is this authoritarian ideology that decides exactly what art is created, exactly how it's created, exactly who's involved, what their identities are. 
<laughs> no one cares about all that shit. There's so much like bureaucratic um, wank and just waste that 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 comes with uh, you know any Australian funded project. It denies the ability for 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 true groundbreaking art to flourish and to prosper. But yeah, that was my idea. Uh, I don't know what you think, but I just feel like if you've got the if you if you build the infrastructure, and again that's just public works, like cool, you you're paying some construction people to, so in the same way, you know, you got all these people building tunnels and roads, and and that's a way that, like you've always said, that's just like a way, a better way to kind of give out welfare because it's allowing people to actually work for that money. Low skilled labor, sure, but like then they have a bit more meaning and purpose in their life. So you get the boast of both worlds here. You're building, um, you're you're allowing construction projects to take place, but you're just also building. Imagine that there's like a a podcasting studio in every suburb where every person can then just create their whether you want to call a podcast uh, art or not, borderline. But uh, I think this is artistic. I don't know. Tell me what you think. But but that, see, this is the whole thing. Exactly what you're describing. That was the difference between the funding. As I said before, like the real downside, everything always comes to, but this was the genius of Howard and the curse of it <laughs> was his signing of the free trade deal, which just allowed all of that American shit to just come into this country. So we just completely got washed out. Yeah, I will say this now, though, that the media, global media world is evolving to a degree where like it, it, it is not actually an advantage to have... It's not necessarily as big an advantage to have this uh, uh, huge investment and 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 large scale projects to create things like TV serials and and movies. There are like Twitch streamers and 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 YouTubers who make sketches that are getting uh, more views than a movie. So you don't need uh, you don't need all these like local content laws anymore because well, first of all, no one's even watching bloody TV anyway. The the and this credit to Screen Australia they have actually they have they they were early on that they they could see how big uh digital was growing and they funded a lot of digital projects so so credit to them for that uh but yeah <laughs> dude, but again which ones sure yeah I mean look I've, I I don't think the individual people who work there are bad necessarily but I just think there's so much they've got like, their check boxes bureaucratic uh wastage that occurs but. What can legitimately happen is, okay, making an Australian film before it was very, it was almost impossible for it to then reach a global marketplace because one, it was usually quite uniquely Australian in its culture and it didn't have the same, um, the production value of American projects, so it didn't have the glitz and glamour. So it usually had to be comedic or it had to be niche. Credit to Chris Lilly, that was an Australian project that went worldwide. Now, you have people who can appeal to a global audience through their fucking bedroom here. And in a weird, in an almost, you could almost make a neoliberal economic argument to say, hey, why not fund amazing facilities for uh, internet personalities, YouTubers, comedians, uh, TikTokers, whatever they may be, to allow them to 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 generate as large a global following as possible, and those global eyeballs are directly uh, improving the freaking trade deficit 
because that ad revenue is coming to an Australian from the eyeballs of people in fucking, I don't know, Tajikistan and, and Canada. And also increases soft power because this is something that South Korea did extremely well. Exactly. So but they, they funded the arts. Yes. They funded the arts on a mass scale and they did, I'm guessing, something K-pop. like you where it was just like, but the best rose to the top. Exactly. And that's why you're getting things like Squid Game now and BTS. Yes. Because, and it's like out-competing Hollywood. Yes, and there's no reason that can't actually happen here because it's not about no. necessarily having the most money attached to it. It's about having a, a high degree of competition among the artists but having good facilities for all artists to be able to conceptualise their art as best as they possibly can. And, yes, that's the other thing. It's, it, it's, it's, it's soft power. Because what's his name? Aussie Man Reacts. Imagine if there's like 20 of them that are just appealing to like 50 million, oh, I don't know, maybe like 5 million people across the world. Well, what it's actually doing is kind of in a way creating a good uh, idea about what Australia is. Oh, they're the funny country. And then boom, the government can put a fucking Tourism Australia ad in the middle of their videos, massively increases the tourism to this company. Australian corporations can then like advertise on 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 these channels that then like allow people to purchase items from Australia, but it starts with like building an audience. Hell, bring like Western Sydney and and like areas of Melbourne. You've got such a diverse uh, group of people that are still very connected to their homeland. You fund people who have political opinions about their home country set them up with a studio, get them creating content that is like appealing to people in a different country. Again, boom, you then have this immense amount of... So imagine if like what you do with Australian politics, somehow every there's like a big... There's a whole fucking town in Australia somewhere that's like the internet town. And like there's huge public studios there and you have people that are like the... the uh, you know, the particular political commentator of each country that have somehow amassed an audience in each of those countries. So there's like a friendly Geordie's of fucking, I don't know, Indonesia and of um, South Africa. Then you've got huge amount of political sway. Mm. Like you, you, that, that will actually be able, you, you can influence trade deals with that sort of shit. If you have that kind of power, if you have a little bit of cultural influence in every political system across the world, well, fuck me. That's that's extremely significant and powerful. So you can put your like Machiavellian hat on and say, all right, let, let's not fund art just for the sake of like, oh, it's important to fund art. It's, hey, let's fund like the in the same way you said Steve Bannon could 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 like realize, all right, this is this is the sort of culture of the next couple of years. Fund the commentators of the future. And help them build audiences across the globe. Massive amount of soft power. And again, like Russia today. Resources. Russia yeah, today yes. is a great example of that. Yes. Great exactly. example. Yes. Countries are already on top of this. They're these like meme farms and, sorry, troll farms and whatever. And there's no reason. Um, but the Australians are doing the opposite. They're cracking down on like, yeah, so liberal. Uh, they're just cracking down on like, online speech because what is this it's a coward's palace no but the reality of the You're situation with that is just <laughs> they 
have had a this is the, this is the thing that I'm actually making a big video about, which really scares the crap out of me with this, which is that mm. they have always positioned themselves as the party of free speech, and you know why? Because they've always controlled the means of speech in this mm. country. And as soon as it was challenged, their little fucking Voltaire quote that they bring out that makes them sound think makes them sound so educated of like. I, I don't agree with what you say, but I defend your right to say it. Well, you never heard anyone disagreeing with you, but as soon as you did hear it, and as soon as it looked like it was coming to a point where, holy fuck, this could actually affect us being in power, you shut it down instantly. Yep. So it was just complete, it was a complete bullshit marketing point because they knew they were never going to be challenged on it. So unprincipled. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's unbelievable. Principled conservatives catch on to that. Well, you know what? The only ones that I will say this because, but this is something that, and you pointed it out as well. Who were the ones that defended us in our defamation and free speech uh, ads? Like, what, what were the parties that did? The Labor Party, the Greens, the Shooters Fishers, the Liberal Democrats, Independent Justin Field. Those were the ones that stood up for free speech. Who were the ones that didn't? The United Australia Party the Liberal Party, and the Nationals. All the fucking ones that never shut the fuck up about free speech. Yep. They were the ones to shut it down. Yeah, hypocrites, man. Um, Massive hypocrites. Mm. But dude, the other thing that really saddens me about this, and this is like, and it made me really sad watching your little thing about it where you were talking about the history of Australian comedians. And I just looked at it and I realized this is cool. I'm really glad that we were sort of part of this thing that happened that turned into the next evolution of Australian comedy. And like, the, yes. as you were saying, we were kind of like the, the 90s version of that and that period. And it was, look, it's a, it's a Whitlam legacy thing, right? But I go back and I look at that because that's the whole thing. In the 70s, what we had would have existed Sure. Because they would have had all of those things like the free radios and the access to public television and all that kind of stuff. So, you would be able to develop your chops together and that would hmm. happen. And then you kind of lived off that through the Howard years. And then what started to happen in the Howard years and what we started to notice very quickly is just like, fuck, all these avenues are gone. And the only people that are getting it are the children of the elite. They were the ones because they were, and they'd get all the fucking grants and they get all the little accesses into Triple J. And like that was how that started to work, right? Because it started to just narrow in because there was no funding for it. And they kept it as a very tiny amount of funding just for them and their like view, right? And the so that was gone. And the irony is that made it so bad that you wouldn't even want to be a part of it now. Yeah, it's it's fucked to be part of it. Yeah. Um, yes, that's true. But what made me sad, it's cool that technology has opened that up and that we could just make our own thing. But what made me sad when I was thinking about it was like, The infrastructure's gone. And and I, and I look at that and I think, yeah, okay, internet humor is cheap. And there's, there's, there's a finesse and quality to things that existed in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s that if you go back and you watch comedic shows that existed back then, they're just sharper. They're sharper than what exists today. And it is great credit to us and our enterprising spirits that we got there, but we are just not of the same quality. And how could we oh, be? Yeah. How could we be? Because the infrastructure doesn't exist. And by infrastructure, I mean, there was no rite of passage where like you could, you know, go in and you could learn off the experience of the other people that were there. And, you know, things such as directors and producers and writers and all that kind of stuff 
gone because there's no infrastructure there to develop it. So you could never make, so when people sit there and like, I, I, it was actually the most infuriating fucking thing that anyone has ever said to me, I reckon, like this actually got at me. Usually when people say like, you're a communist and stuff, it's like, Pfft. but like this one actually did get to me when it was just like, you're no John Stewart or like, you're not as good as Jerry Seinfeld or some shit like that. And it's just like, how the fuck in any universe could you be as good as someone with a team of 50 fucking riders and all these professional cameramen? And on top of that, on top of that, a legacy of other comedians that were just like, here's my 50 years of experience hosting a night show. Like, watch and learn, kid. You know, that doesn't exist to us. We had to fucking invent everything from ourselves, from the ground up. And that's amazing because we found all of these new avenues and there's the freedom to explore all of these ideas. But, you know, like there's a lot of wisdom and experience and we didn't have anything. Well, we had nothing. Well said. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, when you are a internet personality who's constantly adapting to the ever-changing algorithm. Most of your time is actually not being a comedian. It's being a businessman. Mm. It's constantly having to think of how can I make it financially viable so that I can post six videos a week, which I hope you're all enjoying, by the way. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a big part of what I'm thinking about over the last couple of months. Okay, I need to adapt to the algorithm that benefits people who are posting content at an incredible rate. All right. I was always a sketch comedian and a character actor. I made short films that took me months to write, and they were good short films. And people always, well, why don't you do short films? Well, look, all right. The algorithm changes. Okay, that forces you to make more content. All right, how do I make more content? All right, I needed to find some sort of format that's going to still be reasonable quality that I can post every single week. Okay, so you went into commentary videos. I thought, well, let me try and do a small live show where I can do sort of some of those games that pre that panel shows of yesteryear did. Uh, and then Ooh, you're just copying whose line is it anyway. Well, yeah, look, they didn't invent that game. But also that is a format that I can produce regular content. Okay, how can I then evolve and continually adapt that? How can I then... Uh, figure out ways to just adapt to this ever-changing algorithm and try and still be a comedian. I hardly spend time actually doing comedy now. I mean, I write, obviously, and I, and I perform, but a lot of it is it's writing, it's editing, but it's also managing now. I've got a, a couple of people, and I go, look, I don't want this to come across like I'm complaining. I absolutely love what I do, and I'm really happy with where I am at the moment. But Jordan's correct in saying that, like, if I was... Nine to five, working on the craft of comedy, I would be a better comedian. You just can't even do that, though, when you have an internet, when you're trying to maintain a, what is essentially a small business. Mm. Because you need to actually, you can, you have to just sort of get to a point where you've got enough revenue coming in to pay people to do all the laborious tasks while you sit there and write. And I want to get to that point. And I'm, I'm getting in. Or can I will? But that's a, because John Stewart never had to like figure out a way to, uh, you know, make his content 
financially viable and attention grabbing in the uh you know uh clustered marketplace of the internet and he's i'm not criticizing the guy in any way he's an absolute genius but the environment where that was all handled exactly the environment we've grown up in is scattered focus it's it's so many disadvantages there's sure there is the advantage of the fact that like okay john stewart had to wait until he was fucking 40 years old before he was even given a crack yeah you know so he had there was that massive disadvantage that was taken and like i'm eternally grateful for the fact that it's just like anyone can have a go now yeah i like that that is incredible you don't have to appease true meritocracy yes yes Uh, I, i agree that's true the price of that was a complete destruction of any experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And as you were saying, like scattered focus as you have to be 50 things instead of one thing. Mm-hmm. And so that is is massive, massive disadvantages. But what we're, what you, as you have also pointed out, what you start to find, which is really sad because it takes you seven years to get to it, which is that like you couldn't, you didn't have to reinvent the wheel, you know? Like, if you had what, say, the ABC had in the 80s, for instance, you went up there, you had a bit of talent, you did your time doing, I don't know, theatre or whatever, and you made a little name for yourself on the comedy scene. You came in and a producer would just be like, host this game show. Mm. And then you do that. And why would you be hosting that game show? Because that producer would know this has an inbuilt audience. This is a format that works. Mm. And, and so what happens is like, yeah, okay, you have all this freedom and you try these new things and you're able to say what you want and stuff, but you just naturally gravitate back towards these things that already existed in the first place, yep. but nobody fucking told us. So we had to just discover that ourselves. And it's just like, in a way, it's just, it's a waste of seven years, you know? Yes or no, I think there's a value in, 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 in figuring that path out for ourselves and there's a wisdom that comes with that. And then it, it forces you to be extremely organized. And, and this is something I really worked on through through lockdown. I now, you know, he's an influencer. He works two hours a day. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. No, it is an all-encompassing full-time job now. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, again, this is not me complaining. This is just me sort of... I do get upset. Like you said, the, the, the criticism that affects me, like if someone's enlightened centrist or, you know, if he says he's not funny, I don't really care. But when it's like, mm, there's a reason they're on the internet and are not on TV. Nothing gets to me more than that because it's like, all right, they had, e- it's just, it's so much easier. Because you, you don't have, there's no risk to what you're doing, no investment going into what they're doing. There's this inbuilt infrastructure, inbuilt audience. You literally have to show up and be kind of funny. And then even if you're not, the editor puts in the laughs. Mm. And, 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 and that's probably a big reason why I actually turned mm. against public funding of comedy and things. Because it's like, all right, these people who probably earn more than us, Who've, who've, who've just, they haven't had to uh, try and navigate this new world. And look, invariably, that's paying, that's showing. 
this is this is <laughs> you can look at sort of TV comedy and you see oh this this hasn't been challenged for a long time. It's this weird combination of just being like it's, dated and trying to be with it. Yes, and it's this thing of just being like crusty and cringy. It's atrophied in every way because it hasn't been exposed to just competition. Well, it's competition, right? Competition. There's no competition. Yeah, hasn't been competition. Any competition. Um, I think that's the whole thing. It's just like this sad collaborative effort. And there was this moment the other day when. Michael Cusack was doing one of his new shows and he asked me to do like a couple of bit voices and I saw the sheet of it before and Nat Tran had walked in and I never met her and I'd, I would really like to meet Nat Tran one day and she was just walking in and then I walked in and then like we had like a producer on the line and there was a sound engineer there. It was just for a few lines. Mm. He was there. And I was doing it and we were doing these Australian voices and I was thinking, wow, there's all this Australian talent connected by Zoom because it was COVID, but it was still, it was, they were all there. And I just thought to myself, isn't this sad that the only way this comes about is through American investment now? Otherwise, sure. that show would never be made. And in fact, he was saying the same thing, that if it was in the ABC and he did work at the ABC before and they'd put up, say, my name or something like that, instant blacklist. No, we're not doing that, you know? <laughs> Isn't yeah, that incredible? Yeah, but it's kind of cool. You kind of want that. <laughs> oh, you want that? I'm Yeah, but it's just, again, this kind of thing of like the Australian arts industry just couldn't have picked a worse model. It's just this constant shooting yourself in the foot, making the worst possible art imaginable, making people within the own arts industry, which should be the biggest defenders of it, both of us being like, fuck it, cut it. Let everyone (laughs) involved with it go homeless. Let them have to, uh, you know, face the pressures of uh, no economic safety net. Hmm. And it's not even like they're getting like an exorbitant salary. Mm. And it, it makes sense why, like, the uh, if there's one thing I agree with, with the, like, uh, typical shock jock point of view, it's that ABC getting way too much money. Look, everyone I personally know, they're wonderful people, but, like, the machine... It's it's so inefficient. It's so clearly a machine that hasn't had to endure financial pressures. It hasn't had to endure competitive pressures. It is just like clogged up with bureaucratic, uh, just just uh, unnecessary bureaucracy. Kind of sitting around as well, just being able to, like, work their way into the bureaucracy. Yes, and the fact that, like, you know, that Super Bowl, their first season, what was it, four or five million views per episode. Took them, like, two, three years to do a second season. Like, what kind of... that? If that was a private enterprise, you're immediately getting you a second season. Mm. It'll be out in months. Mm. So say what you will about the art that... Seven, nine, and ten producers. It produces it efficiently. <laughs> they get a lot of content out for a good price. They get it fucking done. Yeah, they don't like the Bachelor, done. but like they got a format that they, they, they clearly like a, a a machine 
that needs to uh, appease advertisers. And there's something to that, that that makes it much more efficient. And I would be more uh, excusing of uh, publicly funded organizations if even if they weren't efficient, they at least produced something good. <laughs> they don't. But... Yeah, it's... I think it is just that... And this is the whole thing that's happening as well. It's exactly the same... It's very interesting. It's the, the, the so-called parties that uh, destroy competition, like the Labor Party, for instance, that are just like, they care about socialism and shit like that. They're the ones that opened up this country to the rest of the world. And they did that because Australia is such a backwater from that small little elite that controlled this country that when they have their levers on the power, uh, power like hands on the levers, they do everything they can to shut us out from the rest of the world. That is exactly what they're doing with Facebook now because they want that being big fish in a small pond mentality. They want the control over those levers and that's exactly what you see reflected in the art, which is why you see those things like that awful play getting produced and not being the only one that's produced. I can guarantee you there would be probably six plays that year that were on the same subject that were all just as fucking bad. And, and such a waste of money because these things aren't cheap. Not cheap. Millions, millions, millions. Hell, billions. You take into account all of arts funding in Australia. Billions and billions of dollars wasted on something that is no one wants to... Be, it is truly astonishing to me that you look at Screen Australia projects that are funded and they have 400 views. They're given a budget... Yeah, and again, there's no accountability. No accountability. It's just like the same thing that you always think when you look there. It's just like what I could do with <laughs> half a million dollars. Sure. And to look, to be fair, I've, I've had some art fund projects and that was good. I'm glad that happened. Um, There is a lot of uh, creative control that you can lose, and that's frustrating, but when you're getting money, you can't really deny it. There's also a sense of, you know what, in a weird way, I, we, we, I say all of this, and I express my frustrations, but when I actually was working with funding, I felt cheap. I felt like, ah, I, haven't, I don't deserve all this funding. I did it in the end. I still did the project, but like, there's something more... Uh, validating and, and, and gratifying when you've really achieved a massive project yourself and you've self-funded that. So when I do a short film, they cost sometimes 10 grand, but when they go viral, it's so rewarding. Like, okay, my investment paid off. I made a smart decision here. I didn't, I didn't rely on someone else, some taxpayers, the taxpayers to fund me. Hmm. There's something, it just fills me with a lot more, a larger sense of achievement. No, that's definitely true. And what you've done as well, um, and never, you know, we're never underestimating the people that support us financially as well. Every time you come to a show, you know, that that helps. Everyone who donates to Jordan on Patreon, all of that really helps. Uh, because it's basically either you're privately funded like that, or 
the artist is still getting your money, but it's just there's this facilitation of this middleman of the government in there that are just they're like the real estate real estate agents. They're not necessary, and they're just leeching off that you know in that that transfer there. It's so unnecessary. All these middlemen before it actually reaches the artist. Well, goes you know what else the is like? It, it goes through the treasury, then it goes through various funding bodies, then it goes down to some other lesser funding person that makes the decision, and then it comes to the art. And it's like, yeah, take away all those people and just allow the consumer to fund the art directly. It is pretty amazing when that happens because I was just thinking about that the other day. It was like Seven News has less subscribers than we do. And it was that same thing of just like, fuck all those middlemen. The audience is 80, but that's that's by design. Because, again, if they were enterprising and they had young people involved, it was actually something, isn't this incredible? This is exactly what they were saying. When Microsoft took a dip, no, sorry, when Apple took a dip against Microsoft, I think it was, they said, how many of our engineers, how many of our chief engineers are under the age and managers and all that kind of stuff are under the age of 40? And then they did a count and then they came back and they said one. And then he said, well, then we're just going to lose this fight. He understood that if you had youth involved in it, they're going to just like flood in a, a, literally a new generation of ideas. And that was the big turnaround of that company. And that's the same thing with, like, you know, dude, when I watch Channel 9 News, because I just watch a lot of it, just pay it out, right? <laughs> it's amazing that they all that. speak like this. It's incredible that they're all just like, the M5 highway is about to be upgraded and certain residents aren't happy about it. It's like, why are you speaking like that? <laughs> like, yeah, how what the fuck? un human is that yeah in the age of the internet in the age of authenticity they're still speaking like they're about to just turn to the camera and just be like this was proudly sponsored by marlboro cigarettes like it's like this is from like not even age no wonder 80 year olds are watching it because that was the norm when they were 20 yeah wow yeah it's so stale and artificial stale and say what you look the project did try to change that up and give it this fun conversational vibe. And what does and the vibe actually... what does the vibe give off instead of 80-year-olds watching uh, the news? 40 it's 40 yeah. to 50. It's Gen X. 35 Gen to X is watching it instead yeah. of the golden generation. Yes. Yeah. You know? And so where's the fucking youth going? Here. Here. They've just completely seeded an entire generation. And, and like, you know, with with a skeleton crew of, what, five people, five fucking people running it, as opposed to, I, I don't know how big the crew of the project is, but mm. you'd imagine it'd be dozens. It's, um, they left us no alternative. I was really thinking about that the other day, and I was just thinking, like, holy fuck, this is a really scary thought. I don't know where the Australian youth would be getting their news from if it wasn't for us. And and you know what I realised the 
probably what it would be. Stephen Colbert, Fox News, that maybe have mentioned Australia. The closest thing they've ever mentioned to Australia maybe might be like Mel Gibson. Articles. They'd be looking at articles and... BuzzFeed. Yeah, and there'll be some other... There would have been some other... um, You know what I think it would have been? Hack. Hole in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Just that fucking stale so that it'd just be zero engagement. Zero engagement from this, which is, again, a design. It's a design. And I don't know, man. Like, I think that there is something really... That is a very pernicious thing about Australian society that unlike countries like South Korea, unlike countries like even Canada, I suppose, that they've kind of just said to us, no, we don't want you to be... You know you know what our government has really said to us? Go get a trade. That's it. Don't want you doing anything creative. Don't want you doing anything intellectual. I want you to be a bricklayer. You leave sure. jobs in the CEO sure. to being in the North Shore. You know, actually, this is amazing. We have the laziest corporate culture in the world. This is just proven. Like, it's just we are notorious for having the dumbest people <laughs> in charge of our corporations in the world. I'm, I'm talking well, there's, there's Kenya. Meatheads. Kenya, it yeah. does better than we do. Yeah, they're meatheads that run a lot of the corporations. They're just they're, they're private school Bogans. old boys who... They're smart, but they're, yeah, they're not, I wouldn't call them intellectual. No. Yeah, that's it. It's just, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, when you look at people from the Shire and you look at people from the North Shore, you're just like, is fuck, the only thing that's separating them is money. That's it. One of them watch, some watch Union and some watch League. That's it. That's the difference there. Yeah. But like, really, they both have that same Aussie thing of just like, yeah, uh, we, we could re- come up with a new marketing strategy or barbecue. You just go to a fucking barbecue. That is a really Australian. <laughs> it's it. Now, I love it, and but yeah, it's a big curse. Yeah, there's there's good. There are positives and negatives to that. I think the the social health and the general well being of the country benefits when they're not overworked, uh, when there isn't this incessant pressure on children for academic achievement and for uh, career progression. You see that in the suicide rate in South Korea and India and Japan where kids will just get second on the maths test and kill themselves. So that's the inverse. That's the that's the antithesis. Whereas here, you're like, fuck yeah, I came last. I'm a sick cunt. So Free good beer and bad. if you get a mystery mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good and bad. Good and bad. Good and bad. But... I think it's changing though. I get the feeling that because of the internet and now... Politics is becoming very mainstream and so many people who would have otherwise never been engaged or cared about politics are using words like left, right, and then, you know, these things, most people wouldn't have even known what they even meant (laughs) or been able to tell you who's left or who's right. And as we're talking about, they're quite abstract. But people are more engaged and I wonder if that will create... It's, It's engagement from the US though. Yeah, but it's still at least it's engagement because then it forces people to uh, learn. Now, I've been looking at statistics where uh, men are just totally turning their back uh, to tertiary education. It's now about 60% female, 40% male. Holds in America, I think, 
that's about the same in Australia as well. Yet, there's no, you know, statistics are pretty clear that average IQ is the same. So there's clearly something happening there where I think, you know, hyper-intelligent men are probably more intellectually stimulated listening to podcasts, uh, contributing to certain threads, having an honest discussion with people on the internet that isn't sort of stifled and uh, has all these uh, uh, cultural boundaries and um, ideas that cause this, this sort of circumscribing of free discourse. And I think that's a big part of it. I think, well, like I said in the last podcast, I think Matt Gates made a good point. Some of the like most intelligent people in our society are sitting online making memes and like trading Bitcoin. Which, like maybe the trading Bitcoin's not a bad thing, but these people should be in the upper echelons of corporations and of government and making impactful decisions. Yeah, but that's the entire point of this society. This society has been geared from arts to the business world. It has been geared to gate all of those plum jobs within children of the North Shore. Everyone else gets nothing. It's clearly designed by that. Like, that's how the arts funding works here. So I think that you're right. Like, there's there's two ways of doing this. It really is. It's just like you... Because like there's there's kind of like a state level assistance here that's just on a drip feed, so there's only enough for them. So you either make more, you either put more in there, or you cut it off entirely. But here's the thing: I don't think it'll either go either way. I think that it's always just going to be there with that tiny little drip feed of Australia. And you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, you know that divide that they always have of YouTubers and comedians. I think that in our society now like you kind of pointed it in the last podcast and while you're saying that it kind of just reminded kind of gelled in this but we don't have a mainstream culture and a counterculture anymore we have a mainstream culture and a counterculture within tiny circles like what you were saying within the comedic world right and that's the divide that you see. You see the comedians and you see the YouTubers. And oddly, the YouTubers were the counterculture ones that had the mainstream appeal. It's a really weird inverse of what's happening now. Mm. And so I think that that's kind of just like, that's dude, that is where we're at. I think that that will just continue to exist. Mm. Alrighty. Well... I think we've uh, said enough on this one. All right. That was a good one. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you. CrushOrganics.com. Get that CBD oil. CrushOrganics.com. Use the code NEIL for 40% off. Uh, support the podcast. Well, support charity. NeilKahaka.com slash podcasts. Um, check out Jordan's latest videos. Check out my latest videos. If you live in Sydney, come see me live every Thursday at the Potts Point Hotel, uh, neildan.com. And I know before lockdown, I was planning to do shows all across Australia. That has been put on hold because there's so much volatility in domestic travel. But hopefully by 2022, uh, they will be up and running. 
Alrighty. Thanks, guys. Thank you.